0: to episode 69 of the Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show. We are launching one of our new segments today and I am joined by Dr. Ellie Arena from Coaching Cafe Academy. She is my coaching partner and we are really excited because we are opening the doors to Coaching Cafe Academy coming up in February. It is going to be a six-month, high-touch, live, engaged, interactive, community-based, source-based. We're going to have guest speakers, masterminds, one-on-one segments, some amazing content we have planned. We'll be sharing and going deeper into our unique solution that we created, which is the Coaching Cafe Communication Ecosystem for the NeuroDistinct Human. We communicate differently. Our relationships are different because of our communication style differences. And Allie and I are talking and diving in deeper today on relationship types because our communication styles impact our relationship types, but being able to identify that there's a difference in relationship types from a neurodistinct perspective versus a neurotypical perspective. And a lot of us are in mixed neurotype relationships. So when we're coming together, we have a totally different perspective or or a totally different need or agenda. And so Allie and I are be diving into that today. Stick around. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late-identified autistic. By unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream. Say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joyful, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. I always love talking to you. And today we're talking all about relationship types from both neurotype perspectives. How do you feel about this one, Allie?
1: I actually was just laughing in my head because it took me a second to unmute and we did a weird like, "Uh, am I going to start talking? And I was thinking based on your communication style, your brain type, like you could have made, we both could have made a lot of stories about that. So I just, I think this is really important because We're going to get into this, but like so much of relationships is us and what we're thinking and what we're perceiving and how, how we think it's supposed to be. And and sometimes we can make a real muck of stuff because we have ideas that we're not actually expressing. So I'm excited to get into this.
0: And you know, Allie, I love that because you, you've already sort of set the container for some of the things <laughs> that are really important to talk about when we're talking about relationship types, especially in mixed neurotype relationships. One of the things is that we operate from our need. What need is being met? What need is going unmet? We'll get into that one in a minute, a little deeper. And that's for both parties. And if we're, we're, if we're coming into a relationship where as humans, we all have these expectations of what a relationship is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to function, who's supposed to be responsible for what, how engagement supposed to happen, how we're supposed to feel. We've got all these ideas and these definitions that we've accumulated over our lifetime. And a lot of times it's wrong because we took on maybe the disney princess fairy tale idea of it and that is like the furthest thing from reality we could ever have right Ellie?
1: Well, and I think that's wrong and then there's also a, di- a lot of dialogue around like the length of relationships, right? So if you keep really long ones, then you're you're better at relationships or like if you didn't get, you know, um I love how all the TV shows have like this like core group of people from college or like core group of high school friends that you're friends with forever. If people have that, that's amazing. I don't think that's necessarily super typical though. So like when I think people get stuck on those um, length of relationship things too.
0: Absolutely. That is a really big factor. And it was one that, that I had a challenge with. And I even did a friendship series this past year where we talk about relationships, you know, and friendships for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And that those lifetime relationships are very rare. They're very small. Mm-hmm. They do not occur very often in most people's lives. Yet we approach most relationships from the perspective of this is the intent is that it's going to be forever.
1: Right. Right. And you did something wrong if it's not, which just, which isn't the case. Like I have friends I went to grad school with who, um, I still adore and I hope the best for, but like, they've had like three kids since grad school. I don't know their children, but like, I'm okay with it. You know what I mean? Like we live in different States. We're also not in the container of grad school still. So I think that too, looking at, um, are your friendships within a container and do you are you in a place where you're gonna move it outside of the container and it's okay if you're not?
0: Yeah, that's true. Not every relationship will transition from one container or a season yeah. of your life to another. Right. And a lot of times, like I had a really difficult time with that most of my life, up until you know, I learned I was autistic and all the things that make me different. My understanding and definition. Was that when you were friends with somebody? It was forever, and they. I expected them to be loyal to me because I was one hundred percent, one hundred twenty percent loyal to them.
1: Oh, Carol Jean, that comes up so much in my sessions. The assumption that if I'm putting out hundred percent, and that person isn't, once they realize that person isn't one, how hurtful it is. But then, two, just like truly not understanding how there could be a difference in how we're perceiving this relationship, which I know is what we're going to get into.
0: It is. And it's, there's so much, especially from the neurodistinct perspective that goes into this. We get deeply wounded. Oh my goodness. I, I, I had a friendship and she was one of my dearest friends to me. She was very dear. She was, I would walk through fire, whatever it took. She was my ride or die friend. And I still, to this day, don't know what happened, but something changed in her life. Now I know that something has changed, something changed in her life and where it felt like there was reciprocity in that there no longer was. And it was like, she pulled away from me and we didn't talk as much. And you know, she ended up moving and leaving the state and all kinds of stuff. And at the time, all I could think was, what did I do? Yeah. How did I push her away? What, what didn't I do enough of? Did I smother her? Was I, was I not a, a good friend? You know, what did I miss? I immediately blamed myself and internalized all of it that I did something wrong and she rejected me. And I was devastated for years.
1: Well, and I think that's just such I like that you I really appreciate that you shared that. And also it is so hard when someone doesn't just say, This is what's going on. (laughs) Cause it's so I think it's very important though for people to understand, especially the neurodistinct population, is their assumption is normally gonna be that they did something wrong because they've been told that in other other ways their whole life, right? So the assumption is I smothered them, right? Or I I said something wrong. So for you, if you are in relationships with people, if you're in friendships that are, um, neuro to really like, like, I lo- I always talk about over communicating, but really just be like, Hey, I just want you to know you did nothing wrong. I had a baby and I'm moving across the country. Like I just truly, I can't handle anyone for all, you know, this woman may be kind of phased out of a lot of friendships, but you don't know that. And that can be so hurtful.
0: Yeah, it really can. And I think that's one of the things that is so wonderful about the communication ecosystem that you and I have developed because it lays out and we go in deep to all the variations of communication styles and how you can use all those different types of communication style. You may not recognize it in yourself yet But you'll be able to identify it in yourself and your communication styles and that of other people so that you can recognize, hey, the particular communication style this person is using right now is telling me. So we're talking about some predictive thinking here is telling me that most likely these things might be happening. So here's some questions I can maybe ask them to help draw this out because, you know, we all get stuck in our head and we think I've communicated this because you've thought it so much, but you've never actually said it.
1: Right, I think that's, yeah. Wow, you know, it's funny. I actually did that the other day I thought I wrote an email because in my head I was like, I wrote this email. And then Sebastian was like, no, you never wrote to the accountant. And I was like, yes, I did. He was like, nope, I'm going to physically show you. There's no email. <laughs> like, I just, but it's it, to that point, you can, you can over assume something about an interaction so much that it does become true to you. So again, just checking in with people and asking questions is really important. So one of
0: the aspects that we talk about as as far as identifying relationship types from the neurodistinct perspective in our communication ecosystem is a limited connection. And this is very different and unique in how it applies to us as neurodistinct people, because there are reasons and causations. So in a neurodistinct limited connection relationship, this is a place where you may be sort of the people pleaser. You're looking to make sure that everybody's happy, that everybody has what they need, but you're not going to give any of your real authentic self. You'll show up as sort of your masked best self, right? You got that mask on. This is this plays into this limited connection. You're masking it up. You're doing what you think is expected of you from all these people around you in this particular situation. And you're trying to make sure everything's happening because you do want to do things. You have that heart. You, ha- you are, a, you know, you're a kind and, and helping person. But maybe due to trauma, maybe due to CPsD or PTSD, there are these layers that make you fearful of and feel unsafe sharing your authentic self. So you end up in what we call a limited connection relationship. Doesn't mean that you're not. You don't have the skills or abilities to do it. It means that there's underlying needs and things that have occurred in your experience that aren't allowing you to create that authentic connection relationship. So Ali, what's the flip side of that similarity of relationship in the neurotypical relationship type? If you were, if you were to sort of say, okay, this is the neurodistinct perspective and maybe why it occurs in a limited connection, what would be the neurotypical approach to maybe a limited connection from that
1: perspective? Yeah. I was struggling with this, Carol Jean. I think, I think it's kind of the, the show off relationship, the, like I'm at a party relationship. Right. So like, again, it's, it's what you're describing that, like, I'm really kind, a little like kind of fake, right? I'm really kind. I'm out here. I'm, I'm being communicative. I'm telling good jokes. I'm pretty charismatic, but I would never actually tell you something legitimate about me, right? Like I might not even reveal my occupation, but I might make jokes about drinking Starbucks all the time because that's not really anything deep. Um, so, and, and just like with the limited connection, it typically is like, I have a wound where I don't reveal myself or I have pretty significant anxiety, actually. So I've learned these tools to make myself seem more appealing.
0: So a lot of times I've noticed that when I've observed, you know, in a neurotypical social setting, this might be the person that's sort of like the performer yeah. They show up and they like to be the center of attention and they'll tell a great joke and they sort of hold court with the group, you know, at the party, but you never,
1: but I had a deeper connection. Yeah. Right. Like if someone was like, tell me about them, I couldn't tell you really a thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I think from the neurodistinct perspective, a lot of times when we see those people, And it's like the small talk guys, this is where sort of the small talk kind of thing comes in and relationships, that small talk person. And it's just like, oh, you're not giving me anything. You're just like this really shallow fake person. And I don't know how to even relate to you because you're not giving me anything real. Because from a nerd see perspective, we may not want to give them our real stuff, but we want the authentic stuff from them. So we know that they're like genuine humans, right? Exactly. It's, it's
1: wild when you really start digging into it, isn't it? Yeah. And I really, now the more you're saying that I have a feeling this person that we're describing or this, this relationship type is they're going to know what's going on in the news, sports, like they're just, they're actually going to be pretty well informed. And again, like nice. It's not, but yeah, there's just going to be no... Realness. And to your point, I think, you know, neurotypicals can also pick up on that, that sort of like inauthenticity. I think neurodistinct people pick up on it way quicker. I think it's like a really amazing, um, I don't want to use this word superpower. I hate that, but like, you know, like amazing quality that they pick up on it quicker. Um, But yeah, like just sort of if if that person in my life is someone that, like, let's say I have to go to a party for a work event, um, I would invite them purely because like, I need them to be the show that I can kind of walk behind and not have to do all the talking. Yeah.
0: It really does. And, you know, and I want to touch on this because I think we, we brought it up. And so I think it's one worth talking about. Let's talk about why small talk is actually necessary. I did a whole episode in a series oh, on this
1: whole- and I even did a
0: whole video on small talk, uh, last year, a year before, but small talk is a tool it is a tool and it is a necessary tool because it's like, you don't show up on the first date and within seven days go, will you marry me? Or, Hey, this is awesome. I'm, I packed my bag. I'm moving in and you met him like three days ago. So small talk is actually sort of that. Think about it as the increment of dating. It's like the first date.
1: I think of it as like an on-ramp too. Like it's the it's it's a respect for both people. I'm not going to just put all my crap on you real quick and get deep. Because that also is a sign of wait, maybe I'm actually going to have a very limited connection with you because that was weird. I don't I don't feel like I can actually share with you because we didn't do any ramp to get there. The other thing is um fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know in the neurotypical world, it's just expected. Like it really is just the common expectation. So again, when that's not followed, it's like a little flag to people of like, huh, wait, why did that not happen? That felt weird. And unfortunately they just remember the weirdness of the interaction, maybe not what was shared. Yes.
0: So guys, there is a reason. And for all of us who really like, Small talk is cringeworthy. Allie and I even talk about oh, it. Sometimes it's like, yeah, look, I okay. just want to get to the yeah. meat of it. <laughs> but there is a purpose. There is a reason. And it actually does help you build a foundation for your authentic connection relationship. It does. So one of the other areas that we kind of wanted to dive in a little bit today, because there's four types of relationship connections. But Allie and I are just going to touch on on two of these today. And of course, there's the authentic connection, which we go very deep into to help you identify and start creating. Because any of these three types that we have that are sort of that misconnection, that disconnect in a limited unmet need or a high low energy relationship, those can all be transitioned into an authentic relationship. And we go deeper into that in Coaching Cafe Academy. But we want to just give you a few of these little insights today to kind of help you start thinking about these things a little bit differently. So Allie, let's dive into that high, low energy. Mm, Okay. All right. So from the neurodistinct perspective, that high, low energy relationship is most often impacted by our energy levels and our, our skills and abilities in that season of our life. So meltdowns, shutdowns, and burnout dramatically impact several aspects of our communication ecosystem, beginning with our communication styles. Cause I have mutism that kicks in during and I will go into shutdown. I will even have periods of like a disassociation where I'm just like almost catatonic. And in those, those communication results because I'm not capable of, re- of communication, communicating like I normally do, It can, and it has in the past when I didn't know these things impacted my relationships because people thought you're just being rude. You're avoiding me. You're not talking to me, or you're giving me the silent treatment and you're being mean. Mm -hmm. And so that would impact my relationships dramatically. And in that high, low energy connection, you can also go through these periods. You know, my ADHD brain is like, woo, I'm on, I'm good. You know, and I would go through these periods where I would do lots of stuff and I would be involved in everything and then it would hit and I would crash and you know, it would be like weeks or months. And so then I would just drop off the face of the earth and people are like, you just ghosted everybody. What is wrong with you? You know, you had, you had signed up to do this stuff and now you're like gone, not doing what you said you were going to do. And it was like, I wasn't capable of it. It wasn't that I didn't want to. And so there's all this stuff that goes into that. And a, a high, low energy connection and relationship type is something that happens quite often, especially in late identified life. So from the neurotypical perspective, where might sort of that, a similar comparison happen?
1: So I think I was thinking, saying before, I think it's a little bit similar to like fast friends or fast relationships, right? So when like someone, both people are kind of coming in like really hot and you hang out so much and you do so many things together, that is exciting. And it's like a good dopamine rush, but it's typically not long lasting. And then, yeah, there could be a pretty big fall off because people just can't sustain that. And then the other thing, Carol Jean, we were talking about, that I feel like um, you might have to remind me a little bit, but we were kind of saying like It's also the idea of how we might have friends for kind of like different purposes, meaning like I'm very, very high energy and connected to you because we're talking about entrepreneurship. But if you change the script maybe and start, I don't know, talking about like real stuff in your life, I might be like, oh, wait, no, no, no. Our connection was just this one thing. Like, please don't do that. (laughs) So it can really get like high, low, like it can shut down pretty quickly. Um, that's another way, like, so fast friends are like friends for purposes and it's not bad to have friends for purposes. Don't get me wrong at all. I think it's actually a very healthy way to think about things. Um, but it, it it can't really move into more authentic if you're only seeing them for that purpose. And then you're kind of shutting off any other conversation that person might want to have or that they have needs, you know, a lot of neurodistinct people. I do this. I am the worst texter. Sometimes I'm such a good texter and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love you. I want to talk about everything. And then I just literally don't text for three days. And I could see how that's perceived as rude. Right. But I think if you have an authentic connection with someone, they can be like, yep, that's Allie. She's just kind of like taking a second. It's not a big, it's not about me basically. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a difference in there that we should point out because that was something I didn't recognize that in friendships, that I needed to have different friends for different needs. Mm -hmm. And it was okay because Mm -hmm. I always thought about it as I needed to have that one person that met all those needs that I had. Like I wanted somebody that was going to go to the gym with me, but I also wanted somebody that was going to go to the symphony and the ballet with me. And quite often you're not going to find one person that wants to do both of those things, but where the importance really lies in this is that, You've got that relationship flexibility that even if this is your person that you go to the gym with, this is your gym buddy friend, that when they just when they do take that step to try and have a deeper connection in another area, like maybe they're having a bad day and they want to talk about something that they've got going on. Instead of going, Whoop, nope, you're just my gym buddy. You can't onboard this. Sorry, that doesn't fall into the box and the contract that I have in my head with you. Right. You got to be able to go this is a person. They've got needs, they've got other things. And if they are coming to you with something, or they are wanting to transition and grow your friendship in other areas, man, that what bigger blessing could that be? But if you're not open to that, or you're just a serial novelty friend seeker, you just hit them and quit them all over the place. And you're running through people like Kleenex because you don't want to get into a deeper connection in any way that sometimes is pause for thinking as well.
1: Totally. Totally. And I think, you know, um, I've had some people I work with talk to me about, like, they felt like they were cheating on friends, right? So there is this concept kind of like you were saying, Carol Jean, like there's my best friend or my good friend, and those are who I do things with. So then when maybe that gym friend says, Hey, do you want to go grab a drink? If you put those other friends on such a pedestal as those are my only friends, you might feel like, Oh, I can't, I'm not going to do that. Cause then I would have to tell my friends. So it's just, it's see, I know I, what I'm describing almost sounds like immature, but I do see it pretty often. People feel real like, um, connection and, and just, I can't think of the word. Like, uh, when you're tied to someone, like you have to, you have to tell this other friend all the information um, that they, it would prevent them sometimes from making other friendships. So that's why it is really good to have like diverse friendships.
0: But it also, you've got to have the openness to not compartmentalize all of your life because then, you know, (laughs) I had a friend describe this seriously. It's, it's so funny because I catch myself sometimes in reflection and I'll be like, Oh, and that's why I think I've gotten into a place where I'm so big on connecting people and introducing people now, because if my friend described something, he said, you know, one of my very good friends I'd known for 20 years, he had a massive heart attack. I went to the funeral and he said, I've never been so surprised because there were tons, like hundreds of people. And we all started talking and sharing and a couple people had gotten up and spoken and given, you know, speeches that is eu- for eulogy and everybody, you could see, he said, you could see the faces where people were just like, I had no idea about him. I had no idea he, he went mountain climbing. I had no idea he worked in this aspect of tech because he had so compartmentalized his life, even though he had tons of friends, you know, lots, he had kept everything so separated that no one knew these other aspects of him existed until he died.
1: Right, and that's, you know, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, there was some need there for him, right? To have to do that and to keep things separate. Um, And, you know, one of my worst nightmares is mingling all my friends because I I do, I'm like, they might see this version of Allie or this version of Allie, which seems so crazy. But it always works out wonderfully. Also, I have really nice friends. So they all end up liking each other. And it's actually really nice because then I don't have to have maybe like four different coffee dates. Four people can go to coffee. I get to see everyone and I feel good. Hey, there's a
0: good scheduling idea.
1: Right? Yeah. (laughs) So, guys, we are so glad that you
0: were here with us for this discussion today. Relationship types are very different for each person, but they're very different depending on your neurotype and being able to identify particularly what type of relationships you may have in your life. And then the ways that you can transition. If you do identify that you have a limited connection or an unmet need or a high, low energy connection relationship, and you really care about that person and you recognize that There are components to why that relationship is the way it is now, and it's not because you're broken, and it's not because you did it wrong, and it's not because you made a mistake or you didn't do it right. There are other factors about your neurotype and your communication styles that have impacted that. And Allie and I in the Coaching Cafe Academy give you the strategies, the tools, the understanding, and the ways that you can identify these and how you can grow them and transition into that authentic connection. Where you and the other person are both seen, heard, felt completely authentic and connected, and you have a place to be vulnerable and be your true self, unmasked and all, so that you don't have a day where somebody walks into your funeral and says, Oh my gosh, I never knew this about that person. Join us next week. We have the amazing Mona from NeuroDiverse Love podcast, and we're gonna be talking about. Challenges and things that we face within our mixed neurotype relationships. She's going to be one of our mastermind hosts in April in the Coaching Cafe Academy. Be sure you check your email and look for all the upcoming things so that you don't miss the opportunity to join us for this six-month series. See you soon. If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, Please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistics life. Be sure to tag me at social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad free, please consider becoming a one time or a recurring supporter through either buy me a coffee or the anchor podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.